You're listening to Sibling Talk, commentary from a progressive point of view. Now here are your hosts, John Paulette and Mary Jo Tumer. Hello, I'm John Paulette. And I'm Mary Jo Tumer. Yeah, you know, Mary, uh, the impeachment trial begins today, and we're told today's going to be a day of uh, really dealing with the rules and for the, making the claim that we shouldn't even be having this trial, that it's unconstitutional, because as they keep saying, you can't impeach a president who's out of office, uh, seemingly unaware that he was impeached while he was in office. This is the trial. But, you know, all of that goes goes on. Something's on my mind. It, actually, it's more than that. It's, it's really in my craw. You know, there are a few things that we absolutely know happened. And I think anybody uh, who is looking clearly, Republican, Democrat, can admit these things. We know, because it was done right in front of us, that Donald Trump wanted to reverse the results of the election. We know it, I would point to one thing, to his call to the Secretary of State of Georgia and the conversation, listen, we need to find 12,000 votes. We need to do that. We know about the calls to Michigan, to uh, uh, to Pennsylvania. So we know that happened, that he wanted to reverse reverse that. And somebody said, well, he thought there was voter fraud. Oh, for God's sake. You know, in Pennsylvania, they have found evidence of four instances of voter fraud. Four. All of them, by the way, were cast in favor of Donald Trump. But in any case, we know that part. We know because we can see on the tape that he called on the people on the mall to go to the Capitol while the Senate uh, and the Congress were counting the final votes and told them, you're going to lose your country unless you go vote. There's just no question of these. So here's, I'm going on too long, but here's kind of my conclusion from that. We know the President of the United States urged his followers to do what they could to keep him in power. That's insurrection. That's violation of a democracy. And, and frankly, an argument about the niceties of, well, can we actually convict him while he's not in power again? And didn't the Democrats say bad things and everything? That loses the point. The man tried to end the democracy. That's the point. So I think there's um, a couple of in interesting things to think about. And one is that an, at a trial, the kind of trial that's going to start today to convict on a, 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 an impeachment is both a legal process, meaning a constitutional more than a statutory legal process, and a political process. So when you separate those two things, you understand, at least for me, and maybe it's just a lawyer in me, that if you don't have the facts on your side, you, you argue procedure. And I think that the lawyers know that factually they're not in good shape. But from a procedural perspective, maybe they can make the case that, in a sense, what they're saying is that the, the Senate does not have jurisdiction because it's not a constitutionally permitted 
to hold the trial after Trump has left office. I think most legal scholars disagree with that. And yesterday, um, there was an editorial in the uh, Wall Street Journal by, uh, what's that lawyer's name, Chuck, something, whether, and he's, he's a like well-known conservative lawyer, and he just totally debunked on their own terms. And what I mean on their own terms, because conservative jurisprudence has everything to do with originalism. And an originalist would read the Constitution and the history to say that you could hold the trial after someone has left office. So that's all the kind of the legal piece of it. But in the end of the day, we know that um, in, an impeachment trial is really a political process. And as with many political things, um, we know what the result is. So the question is, why bother? I think that's something, you know, all, most Americans, all Americans should be asking themselves, like, is this a good use of the time, the senator's time when there are so many big problems to solve? And I, will, I would argue, as I have since January 6th, that not only is it a good use of their time, it's a necessary use of their time because we have to record for history exactly what you just argued, that a president of the United States incited a riot to um, try to stop Congress from doing what it's constitutionally mandated to do, which is to certify the votes. I don't think really factually there's any dispute and I think one of the things people are talking about is the case they're going to be put on. It's going to be put on by the House managers. It's an emotional case, a lot of video to remind people how terrified they are. I don't care so much whether that, you know, causes trauma to those senators because whatever they're, you know, they're adults. But I think re-traumatizing the American people a little bit and putting all that evidence out there may not be a bad thing to remind them that they made the right decision when they voted for Biden over Trump. Well, you know, I think, I mean, you're exactly right. It is a legal process and a political process, but I think you pointed to this as well. I think we ought to put a third thing with that because that's what everybody says. And that is, it is a historical process. It is speaking to history. And what it needs to say to history cleanly and clearly is we recognize that our democracy almost was was done. It was almost killed. Because what is the definition of killing a democracy except that an existing and incumbent president uses force, coercion, allies, to keep himself in power against the will of the people that was expressed uh, in the vote. That's what he was trying to do. That's what he almost did. And if there's any denial on that at all, go back to what he said consistently about Mike Pence, that he wanted Mike Pence to stand up as the presiding officer, the president of the Senate, and overturn the votes that happened in the States and keep him as president. That's what it is. You know, the videotapes I'd like to see shown in this are not the ones that we've seen on television. I'd like to see 
films of Nazi Germany, films of fascist Italy. I'd like to see a copy of uh, all three seasons of The Impenetrable Man in the High Castle. I'd like to see Seven Days in May. And I'd like the senators to sit there and contemplate not just how scary it was to be caught in a closet, but how frightening it is that President Trump almost reinstalled himself in, uh, in office even when he lost the, the election. That's what I'd like to see. Well, that's a context, isn't it? But, you know, in, in what the defense is, what Trump's team is trying to do, and, and the Republicans that are supporting them as well, is to say, oh, get over it. It's over. It's not a big deal. And I think what if the Democrats, the House managers are going to be successful, they're going to remind us that it is a big deal. The, it's bad enough to have those, you know, thugs in the Capitol taking craps in the hallway. That, that all was horrible. But exactly what you're speaking to, which is the thing that we believe, which is if you lose, you say, ah, I lost. Okay, well you know, maybe better luck next time, as opposed to what happens in countries that we disdain, right, where they hold the election, they go, oh, well, um, I didn't really lose. And here's the process. And this is going to work. And then they stay in power. That's obviously what Trump was trying to do. And we came relatively close to it. I think because it didn't happen, John, people think, oh, it wasn't as bad as you all are saying you're overreacting but that that misses not just that moment but the moments that we lived in even starting before the election when trump was you know setting up what he was going to do in case he did loss would undermined our very belief in how our system works you win you get the job you lose you don't get the job and that was precarious at best and even if we all felt, which I think at the time, even on the 6th, we're like, okay, let those crazy people do what they think. Biden is still going to be inaugurated. But those individuals who stormed the Capitol, and there's a super interesting article in the Times from yesterday about the Michigan militia and how it was a little bit of a dry run for what happened on the 6th. I don't know if you read it, but... And I would recommend everyone to read it. It's very frightening. But those individuals were convinced by the president, his minions, you know, Rudy Giuliani, and their media ecosystem that what they were doing was not only right and just, it's what a patriot should do. So that was very frightening that those people were of a mind that they thought, yes, I need to do this. I have to go kill Pence so that Trump can stay president. Like, how do you get to that place being raised in the United States of America? I heard some, uh, a frame of this, like, think about it this way. In the greatest generation fought back against fascism and they won, right? In the, um, Reagan, in that area, they fought back against um, communism, you know, and that's uh, that kind of a state, the, the um, Iron Curtain, all that, and they won. And this was our moment, and it was authoritarianism that was threatening us. And have we won? 
We don't know that yet. But did we, have we beat this onslaught of authoritarianism? And John, we don't know because that has to play out for another four years. If in the um, 2024 election, the Republicans run a Josh Hawley, for example, right? A smarter version of Trump. And they move back to the place that they are, that they were at on the 6th. That's a frightening thing. Well, it's a frightening thing. And I mean, I agree with you. An awful lot of people say, well, it didn't happen. The system held up. You know, I'm, I'm very fascinated by something called counter history and kind of the rules of the game in counter history is you you make just one change. You can't make a whole lot of changes. And it has to be a plausible, reasonable change that goes up here. I'll give you one change. You go back to Trump coming up to the Republican convention the first time that he ran and he has to pick a vice president. And somebody says, Mr. Trump, we suggest you go with this very bright guy, uh, Stanford background, Yale. He's from Missouri, strong conservative. You make Josh Hawley your vice president. That's a guy that'll help you win. Plausible, right? You could do Ted mm-hmm. Cruz, do whatever you want. Now go to January 6th. And when vice president Josh Hawley brings the gavel down, he says, no, I do not accept this Senate. I speak for, I ruled that the electors presented for the states of Georgia, Arizona, and Pennsylvania are not the proper electors. We rule instead that alternate set goes, and now uh, the secretary lets add it up. Bang, gavel down, the new president of the United States is Donald J. Trump, who remains in, in office. I, I think it's... <laughs> I think it's plausible. I think it's just that far away. And you can still have the crowds cheering outside and everything. And they all come in and they say, we love Josh. Josh is the boss. And they they cheer. <laughs> I think that is how fragile we were. And I do not believe that for Josh Hawley or for Ted Cruz, that suddenly the majesty of their office would have brought them to rightness and goodness. I think we were in real danger. Yeah, but do you talk about Crowley and, I mean, Howley and Cruz and Rubio and all these other, you know, spineless guys and even girls like uh, Nikki Haley. If Trump decides to run again, which is very possible, and even if he doesn't get the nomination, he absolutely has... You know, he's a chaos guy, right? Um, And I would think nothing but to say to those dudes, you had your chance to take him off the national stage and you didn't take it. It, Isn't it interesting? They're not Machiavellian enough to say, we got to get rid of Trump. We just need 17 votes. They don't even have to be those three. They could talk other people into voting to convict him and keep him from running for office. I, I, that's the part in a weird way I don't understand. But no. it's, it's, it's going to be I. super interesting because we know what the result is. We know what the outcome is. But uh, there's a lot of shame to go around in the next. There, there is. And I have to share with our listeners, uh, 
when Mary Jo and I go long in time, we call it creep. We creep a little bit too, too <laughs> we long. Got some and going and on I'm today. thinking about Josh Holly and Ted Cruz. And the word that occurs to me right away is creep. <laughs> Not our no, creep. A different kind creep. of creep. Have a good one. <laughs> talk to you. Bye. All right. Talk to you later. Bye. Sibling Talk is a JMP production. Theme song by David Paulette.